Father, we're so grateful for the gift of life that you've given to us today. And, and to be reminded here at the end of the church year, uh, Lord Jesus, that you are the King of Kings. We come to you um, as your servants, um, desiring to be under your reign. And we want to be uh, guided by your rule. And so we thank you for your word that shows us how to live life in your kingdom. And we pray that um, as we think about your word, as it is preached, as it's been read, um, as we contemplate it today, uh, that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our minds, uh, that your word would fall upon fertile soil in our lives and that it would bear fruit. Um, We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, kids, uh, I want to begin with a question today for you guys. Um, Several questions, actually. Uh, How can you tell that a cowboy is a cowboy? Okay. A lasso and a big hat. That's a pretty excellent way to determine that a cowboy is a cowboy. Now, how can you tell that a ballerina is a ballerina? A big tutu. You got another answer? Or are you waiting for the next one? I have both. Okay. Are they different? Is the cowboy now? Sure. Because the, a cow plays voice. It's a boy cow. Okay. Okay. True enough. True enough. Okay. Keep keeping on. How can you tell that a police officer is a police officer? Emery. Badge, good. Uh, how can you tell that a doctor is a doctor? Yeah. Tools for surgery. Yeah. Another one. A police car, right? You guys, you guys are getting it. You guys are getting it. Do you notice, kids, that in each of of those examples, uh, there are defining characteristics uh, that help us to identify each of these vocations, right? So there is some kind of identifying marker that if you look at it, uh, then you can know that's a mailman or that's a judge or whatever it may be. And so given that that's the case, let me ask you this question. And I'm not going to answer this one now, but I want you to think about it. How can you tell that a Christian is a Christian? What is the defining mark that identifies a follower of Jesus. That's what we're going to be talking about in our sermon this morning. What are the defining marks of a true Christian? So so kids, on your activity sheets, uh, there are some questions for you to answer that will help you follow along um, as we seek to identify the true marks of a Christian. Church, last week we turned the corner in the book of Romans... Having worked our way through the first kind of two-thirds of the book in chapters 1 through 11, which explained to us the message of the gospel, which was the good news about God concerning His Son. And last week we started in chapter 12, which began to explain to us the implications of that good news for our lives. And while the first 11 chapters of Romans was filled with deep and rich and at times mysterious theology of how God has been at work in and through the world in salvation history. Romans 12 and following is the eminently practical application and the outworking of that deep and rich theology. 
And so last week we started this new section in Romans with Paul's exhortation that in view of God's mercy, or because of everything that we had learned up to that point, we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God. And we are not to be conformed to the world, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And in those verses, Paul laid a foundation or a framework for us uh, for what it means to live the Christian life. We're to give all of ourselves to God. We're to think about and to perceive life differently than the world around us does. That is the natural response of the human heart and mind to receiving the mercy of God. It's a profound calling. And it's beautiful imagery. But what does it actually mean? How do you present yourself as a living sacrifice? What does it look like to be transformed by the renewing of your minds? How do we actually do those things? And what does that practically look like? That's what Paul begins to explain for us Next, And so if you have a Bible with you, uh, or you have one on your phone, I want you to invite you to open it with me uh, to Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9, as we consider together how practically do we live the Christian life? What does it look like? In verse 9, Paul tells us what it looks like to live the Christian life when he says that we are to let Our love be genuine. Paul's instruction to the church is that we are to experience and to exhibit a genuine kind of love. And what follows that exhortation appears to be a fairly random list of instructions that Christians are supposed to do. For example, Paul says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And on and on it goes. It appears to be a beautiful but but fairly random list of instructions of things that we are supposed to do. But what actually follows the initial exhortation to let love be genuine is not a list of random and distinct imperatives or or commands or instructions, but rather it is a long list of participles. Now, participles, very simply put, are verbs that act like adjectives. And so what that means is that in this list that Paul gives us, we don't have a long list of different and unrelated things that we are supposed to do. But instead, we have a long list of adjectives that are describing the way in which we are to love genuinely. So, rather than Paul's exhortation to abhor what is evil being a a separate and self-standing instruction, it's actually an adjective that modifies the command to let love be genuine. Or stated another way, 
The way in which we should let our love be genuine is by abhorring what is evil. Does that make sense? So you could put an ing, you could put an ing on most all of these participles in order for this to make more sense and to be a bit clearer. The way that we let our love be genuine is by holding fast to that which is good. The way that we let our love be genuine is by outdoing one another in showing honor. The way that we let our love be genuine is by being fervent in our spirit to show love. The way that we let our love be genuine is by serving the Lord. And on and on and on it goes all throughout the list. In fact, after the initial call to let our love be genuine, almost every one of the words that look like verbs in verses 9 through 14 are all participles. Describing the ways that we can express our genuine love. And so while there is a lot in these first verses, the initial command to let your love be genuine is the guiding principle for the entire passage that follows. And all of the rest of these participles are in service to that commandment. And so what Paul is saying is that, as Christians, we are to let our love be genuine in all kinds of different ways. And we're to do it to all kinds of different ways people. That's the second point I want to make. Within this passage, we're not just given different ways in which to love. We're given different people to whom we should express our love as well. In fact, within this passage, there are three distinct groups of people that we are instructed to love. The first of those groups are found in verses 9 through 13, where Paul begins by talking about Genuinely loving those who are within the family of God. We see this focus on love within the church family in a number of different ways. For example, twice in verse 10, Paul exhorts the Christians to exhibit genuine love by using one another language. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Paul says this one another language is used almost 60 times throughout the New Testament to teach us how or how not to relate with one another within the church. And here it's the same. Paul is writing to the church, explaining to them how to genuinely love one another within the church. A second clue that Paul is encouraging this genuine love to be expressed to one another within the church is found in the very same verse, in verse 10. As Paul mentions uh, loving one another, or some translations say being devoted to one another with brotherly love. And both of those ideas, uh, the devotion to one another and the brotherly love for one another, indicate a commitment to and an affection for the other that implies a familial type of bond. One commentator wrote of this verse that the objects of this grace are brethren, not in such a sense as all the descendants of Adam are, or men of the same country be, or as 
Such who are born of the same parents in the natural sense are, but such who are so in a spiritual sense. Who are born of God and are of His household, belong to His family and are brethren of Christ and of one another. And are either members of the same church, incorporated together in the same church state, or at least are members of Christ and of the church universal. So Paul here is talking about devotion and love toward the church family. The last and the clearest evidence that Paul is beginning here with a call for the church to love one another within the church in a genuine way is found in verse 13, where he explains that one of the ways to show genuine love is by contributing to the needs of the saints. Paul says that we are to physically and financially and practically help meet the needs of others who are saints, those sanctified by God, our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is where our genuine love is to begin. But it's not where it is to end. Because the very next instruction we're given in verse 13, after we're told to express our love by contributing to the needs of the saints, is that we're told to express our love by seeking to show hospitality. And the Greek word for hospitality is is philoxenius, which is made up of two different words, philos, which describes a friendship type of love, and xenos, which means stranger. So when the Bible is talking about hospitality, it is literally referring to the love that we should exhibit towards strangers. So the the first group that Paul tells us to express our genuine love towards is to those within the church. But the second group he tells us to show our genuine love towards is the stranger. To the one whom we don't even know. We see further evidence of this in verse 14, where Paul changes the object of his language from, from one another, indicating those within a community, to them. Referring uh, to those who are outside of a community. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them, Paul says. A final way that we see Paul encouraging us to express our genuine love to the stranger is in verse 17 and 18. Where Paul says that we are to exhibit genuine love to all. In verse 17 he says, uh, we are to give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. In verse 18, he says that if it's possible, as far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. And while all may include some that we know, it certainly includes many more that we don't know. So we're to express our genuine love to those inside of the church. And we're to express our genuine love to those who are outside of the church, who we don't even know. Which already includes everyone in the world. (laughs) But in verse 19 through 21, Paul takes this exhortation a step further when he tells us that we are to exhibit this genuine love even to our enemies. We're to do so by not seeking vengeance or revenge for wrongs and harm done to us. Instead, if our enemy is hungry, we are to feed them. If they are thirsty, we are to give them something to drink. By doing so... By responding with love in the face of evil, we may lead them to conviction and repentance. 
which is what that odd phrase about heaping burning coals on their heads is likely to mean. Paul concludes this section by summarizing that we are to overcome any evil that is done to us with good. So even to those who persecute us, to those who would do you harm, who work on behalf of evil, to those that we would consider enemies of the gospel and of Christ, even to them, we are to express a genuine type of love. And when you take a step back and consider all of that in totality, what we have in this passage is an exhortation from Paul to express a genuine love in all kinds of ways to all kinds of people. We're to love those who we know and those who we don't know. We are to love our friends and we are to love our enemies. We are to love in our thoughts by abhorring what is evil and holding fast to what is good. And we are to love in our actions by giving to those who are in need. We are to love actively by looking for ways to bless. And we are to love passively by restraining the desire to curse or to seek revenge. This, as the the section heading for this passage in the ESV Bible states, this is to be the mark of a true Christian. We are to be a people who express genuine love to all kinds of people in all kinds of ways. This kind of love is to mark our lives. So much so that in the same way that our kids can look at a police officer or a ballerina and identify them by their uniform, so should the world be able to look upon a Christian and identify us by our love. Isn't this, after all, what Jesus said in our gospel reading today from John chapter 13? After he gave the disciples this new command that we should love others as he loved us, Then Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus said that it is by our genuine love, our Christ-like love, that people will know that we are Christians. And so I want to ask you a question this morning, church. Would an observer of your life identify you as a Christian because of your expressions of genuine love to your church community, to strangers, to your enemies? I've asked the kids on their activity sheet today to list three different ways that they can express love to each of these groups of people. I think that'd be a really good activity for all of the adults to do this week as well. So sometime later this afternoon or during the course of the week that is ahead, I challenge us all to take some time and reflect on the ways in which your life exhibits the genuine love of Christ to all kinds of people in all kinds of ways. 
list a couple of ways that you are already actively loving your church, the stranger, any enemies or adversaries you may have. Can you think of ways? If you can, be encouraged and strengthened in them and and give thanks. If you can't, be convicted and consider why. Then I challenge you all to take a few moments and think of at least one or two new ways that you could seek to show love to someone in our church community and to a stranger. And to someone that you may be at odds with. It might be a kind word. It might be an act of service. It might be a peace offering to someone you've been in conflict with. Or or a commitment to hold your tongue rather than to speak a sharp word. There's almost infinite number of, of ways that we can express this genuine type of love. But take a few moments to consider a few ways that you can let your love be genuine. And to love others with the love that Christ has shown to you. Now as you seek to think about this in your life this week. And as you seek to live this out in your life. There's one important acknowledgement that I want to make. And to remind you of and to equip you with. This isn't always easy to do. <laughs> Loving the people that love us is usually pretty easy. But as Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, if you only love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Loving people who love us is relatively easy. But how do you love your enemies? Because Jesus said that it is when we love our enemies that our reward will be great. So how do we do that? How do we love the people that are hard to love? How do we love people when we don't feel like loving them? How do we love when it's not just when it's convenient, but when it costs something? Not just when it's easy, but when it takes effort. In order to show that kind of love, we have to remember... That all of the instructions which we are given here in the final section of the book of Romans are all to be done in light of what has come before it. We live out the exhortations of Romans chapters 12 through 16 only and always in light of Romans chapters 1 through 11. It is in view of God's mercy, Paul said. That we should do these things. And when we view God's mercy. That has been shown to us in Christ. Don't we see this very kind of love. Which Paul is calling us to. As the same kind of love to which God has already shown to us. I mean think about the story of the gospel. And how Jesus showed love to us, to us, to to us, his enemies, even when he didn't really want to. In the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night before Jesus would be crucified for our sins, he didn't feel like loving us by going to the cross for us. 
What Jesus felt in that moment was take this cup from me. He didn't want to die, didn't want to be a sacrifice. But what Jesus decided to do in that moment was not my will, but yours be done. And what Jesus said when he was hanging upon the cross was, Father, forgive me. Even when Jesus didn't feel like doing the acts of love, he chose to do them anyway, fully and sacrificially. He loved us even when we were his enemies at great personal cost. And he didn't just do this once. Jesus over and over and over again loved those who didn't love him in return. He washed Judas's feet just moments before he knew that Judas would walk out on those clean feet and go and make an offer to betray him. Jesus offered table fellowship to Peter. Just moments before, Peter would abandon Jesus and repeatedly deny even knowing him. And Jesus still shows this kind of love to us all of the time. He forgives us before we fail, knowing that we will fail. He washes us before we betray Him, knowing that we will betray Him. His mercy comes before our mistakes, knowing that our mistakes will follow. He died for our sins long before we ever repented of our sins. This is how Jesus loved us. It is an unearned, undeserved, one-way kind of love. And having been recipients of that love, we're now called to go and exhibit that love to others. Just as Jesus loved us, we also are to love one another. It's the new commandment that he's given to us. We can love Because he first loved us. That is our motivation. And his life lived inside of us is the power to be able to do this. Even when it's hard. It is God's love at work in and through us that enables us to live and to love like this. Church, we're called in this passage of scripture to be a people. That express genuine love to all kinds of people in all kinds of ways. And by this, all people will know that we are his disciples. By our genuine Christ-like love, we will be known. May it be so. For God's glory... And for our good. Amen.